0: From St. Matthew's Gospel, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, friends, today is the last day of the season of the Epiphany. Woo! Bring it! And uh, if you know, uh, Epiphany, if you think way back to the start of the season of Epiphany, it was the arrival of the wise men from the east to uh, meet the baby, this new king that had been announced to the star. Way back in January, we covered all this. And we started with the wise men, and what we discovered is that the season of the Epiphany is all about God's revelation of himself to us. For example, the wise men, as you know the story, they go on this long journey from the east, and they meet Jesus, and what do they do? They don't even exchange words. There's no introduction. They literally come in and meet the Lord Jesus Christ, and they fall down, and they worship him. And the point is, the season of the epiphany is about this very dynamic, that when you meet Jesus Christ, the Son of God, you've only got three options, hate, hate, indifference, or worship. And what I want to show you this morning today as we wrap up this season of the Epiphany, it's all about Jesus shining forth. It's a big, uh, cool idea here that how Jesus reaches out to us. And I want to show you from this story of the transfiguration, which is always the last reading, uh, sorry, the gospel reading on the last Sunday after the Epiphany, this idea of Jesus being transfigured on the Mount. What does this mean? And how is this the conclusion of the season of the Epiphany? Well, three things. Three ideas, three points, whatever you want to call it. Three uh, themes from this morning. I want to look at Jesus' invitation to us of intimacy with him. I want to look at Jesus' self-disclosure of himself. And I'm going to look at the manifestation of changed lives Jesus's call, literally his call to us, to you, to intimacy with him, point one. Secondly, Jesus's self-disclosure to you. And then finally, how that changes your life and mine. So the first thing on this final season of the epiphany, before we jump headfirst into the season of Lent this coming Wednesday with Ash Wednesday, first thing is Jesus invites us to intimacy with God. Now, Matthew tells us that Jesus takes three guys, right? The three amigos, Peter, James, and John. And he takes them up a mountain. And there's a little detail, which goes right over our heads, but it's critically important. He takes Peter and James and John up a mountain by themselves. He could have just said he takes them up a mountain, period. Doesn't say that. He takes them up a mountain by themselves. Why is that important? Well, two big reasons. If you know your Old Testament, we just read it a minute ago. Uh, Jesus, God reveals himself, not always, but frequently on a mountaintop, Moses being the prime example. So these three Jewish guys and Jesus, also a Jew, going up a mountain, they know something's up. God reveals himself on mountains. And then secondly, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, just the three, the inner circle, up the mountain by themselves. Why? He is calling them to a special, close, listen, intimate relationship with him. That's why he calls them up by themselves, to, be, to, to introduce to them an intimate relationship with himself. And I want to stop there and say something. Maybe it's just me, but if I say that God wants an intimate relationship, a lot of people that kind of sounds funny too. I think it's Pretty much because of like the whole sexual revolution and all that stuff. And of course, Valentine's Day is in the rearview mirror. So that's kind of in the back of our minds too. We, human Westerners, and certainly Americans, tend to conflate intimacy and, and sex. But that's not necessarily true. And we certainly, most people, um, conflate intimacy with physicality. That's also not necessarily true. I'll show you. That word intimate actually means to have a close personal, small, and here's the key, here's the key, self-disclosing relationship with another person. I'll show you what I mean by this. We call it friendship, call it love, call it lots of different things, but think about all the people that you know. If you were to open up the, your contact list on your iPhone, right, I've got thousands of people in there, people that I don't even remember who they are, right, come across names, who in the world is that, uh, But think about all the people that you know, right? Your circle of people, your acquaintances. Think about it like concentric circles, right? There's everybody that you know, right? The people that live on your street, people on your HOA, people you maybe uh, see when you walk the dog, whatever. And then you might call those acquaintances. Then you have these occasional friends, right? The ones you go out with maybe once a month for cocktails or something. And then you have closer friends. And then you have the core. And it might only be one or two or three people in that core. That's kind of the point. Well, stop and think about it for a second. What is it that actually defines those concentric circles inward? What is it? What what makes a friendship a friendship, what makes a friendship intimate is our willingness to self-disclose to another, right? I mean, think about it logically. If you were to go to Publix and as you're checking out, I always pick on Publix, I don't know why. So you go to, the, you go to Target, right? And on your way to Target and you start telling your, the checker about all your marital problems. They're going to think you're a weirdo, right? And you would be. The reason being, the reason is you are self-disclosing out of context see my point? What makes a relationship intimate, stay with me, is self-disclosure. Self-disclosure, when we tell somebody something that we wouldn't tell most people, and we do it, we tell them that, and we bring them into that. Why? Why? Because we trust them. Here's my point. Intimacy, whether with people or God in this context, is a decision that we have been agreed to be vulnerable with the other person. But let's just stop there and think for a second, all right? Okay, you with me so far? Intimacy is about vulnerability and self-disclosure. So far, so good. Well, let me ask you a question. Or make a point, I should say. From God's perspective, excuse me, from God's perspective, he already has an intimate relationship with you. In fact, I would submit this to you. He knows everything about you. In fact, he knows more about you than you know about you. He knows the moment you're going to die. He knows what's going to happen to you this afternoon. He knows what you're going to have for dinner tonight. You you may know. You might not. I don't. (laughs) Scripture says that Jesus knows the number of hairs on your head. In Jeremiah 1.5, Scripture says, God says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. See, God already knows everything about you already. You don't need to self-disclose to him. You can't help but self-disclose to him because he already knows. We say it in the beginning of our Mass. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. Right? So think about this. If intimacy is about self-disclosure, man, you can run, but you can't hide. He's God. He knows everything about you intimately already. Here's the kicker. The odd thing is that Jesus wants to invite you to know him intimately. I mean, stop and think about that for a minute. I was watching a video this past week on YouTube about um, Voyager 2 or whatever spacecraft is still functioning out in the, you know, it's way out in the the, uh, galaxy or whatever. And they showed a picture of the earth. It was the last photograph sent back to earth, I don't know, five, six years ago. And it was a picture of the earth, and it was a blue pixel, one pixel on a whole screen. And then it segued into, you know, the image quality of that compared to the Hubble telescope. And you look at the vastness of the universe. I mean, you just take a look at it and go, holy, I mean, the breath and the awe-inspiring images that you see of God's handiwork. Or go the other direction. Get a microscope and look way down into the structures of the human cell or how atoms work or quarks or whatever. Just stop and consider for a moment that the God that creates the universe and the stars and the heavens and tadpoles and quarks, he desires an intimate relationship with you and me. That that God actually, for some reason, cares about you and me. If you just stop to think about that for a moment, that's an incredibly It's a unique thing in the history of human religions. Ordinarily, people are food or sex fodder for for gods, if you look at human religions, by and large. But the God of the Bible calls you into an intimate relationship with him. He calls you. And I want to ask you, I want to just stop you for a second, this idea of call. This call is what God places on your heart and mind. God calls you to a personal relationship with him. Do you have it? Do you want it? Do you trust him? Do you pray? Do you do what he says? Is Jesus your go-to for everything in life? Do you trust him with your time, with your money, with how you spend your leisure time? See, God's call, this is the thing I want you to hear. We always hear calling as an as an action. I usually do, right? God's call to put a school in, right, for example, which is on the radar. But actually, God's call fundamentally is not God's call for you to accomplish something for him. He's God. He doesn't need anything from you, and he certainly doesn't need anything from me. (laughs) But you see, instead, the really cool part of it is that God's call is actually an invitation to know him. It's not to do. His call is to have an intimate relationship with your creator, Jesus says, think about, with all that being said, creator of the universe and quarks and tadpoles and all that, Jesus says in John 15, 15, I call you friends. So Jesus invites us to a relationship with him, an intimate relationship with him, not because he needs you, but because you need him. And that leads to my second point, that if if intimate relationships are all about self-disclosure... How does Jesus self-disclose to those he calls? Well, let me show you. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, the small crew, up a mountain, and he is transfigured before them. That word transfigured is a Greek word metamorpho. And if it sounds like metamorphosis, it's from the same root. It means to change from the inferior to the superior, or at least to see the true nature of something. There was an old movie back in the 80s called Cocoon, remember that? And it was these space aliens, and they, were, they had regular human skin on them, but then they would peel their eyebrow and you could see, like, light shoot out. It wasn't like, I know it was a cheesy movie, but I remember it. Uh... It's kind of like that. Jesus is transformed in front of them. His, he glows. His, his face shines like the sun. His clothes become white. Everything about him has changed. His, the divinity of Jesus, the, the veil of flesh that covers him, if you want to say it this way, is burst, and they see his true nature. Peter sees this. And he says something really funny. It sounds kind of stupid on the surface. He, they see this image of Christ's true identity, his self-disclosure. And Peter says what any Jew would say. Man, we've got to put a cover on that. We need three tents, right? What do you do with things that are too holy to see? You cover them, like the Ark of the Covenant, for example, right? And so Peter sees this and says, we've got to I can't handle we can't handle this. We got to cover these things up, not to protect them from me, but to protect me, Peter, from it. And then this the light gets stronger, this vision comes to them of this over being overshadowed, and it says they were terrified and they fell. And it might have been, I don't know, there's an old icon I used to have. I think one of my daughters took it. I don't know. Kids. But It was an image, it was an icon of of Jesus transfigured, Peter, James, and John. And they're literally like this. They're falling on the ground. They're terrified. They fall on the ground because they are so overwhelmed by the presence of God. That's all they can do. And Peter Peter says, we've got to cover this up before it's too late. And if you know your scripture, this is a recurring theme. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 5. Isaiah's in the temple. The presence of God comes in. The temple is filled with smoke because God likes incense, incidentally. And uh, (laughs) it is true. Uh, Isaiah sees the temple filled with the presence of God. And what does Isaiah say? He doesn't say, wow, this is great. No, Isaiah says, woe is me for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king. In other words, when you meet God intimately, it's a terrifying and intriguing event. Let me give you an example. I thought I'd told you guys this story before, but I never did. May I? I was 24 years old. I was at Church of the Good Shepherd in Rosemont, Pennsylvania, where Kathy and I went to church for about 10 years and was my sending church to go to seminary. Anyway. I went to go to the Eucharist at one point, to the rail, and I had it was just it was a regular Sunday, just like today for all of you. I came up to the rail, I put my hand out, right? And I was, I was still working for Siemens at the time. wasn't in seminary or anything like that. I was kind of thinking about the priesthood, but not all that seriously at, that, at this point. Anyway, I come to the rail, put my hand out. The priest says, the body of Christ. And he went to place it on my tongue, which is how I received it let me just explain to you what happened to me in that moment, and and it was supernatural, but I'm going to do my best. He says, the body of Christ, and I say, amen, and he goes to place the host on my tongue, and I recoiled, and I can't really describe it other than not, I didn't physically recoil. My sinful, broken humanity went, like Peter, cover that up. Terrified, pushed back from it. I was... Kathy could tell you because we talked about it after. I said, what just happened? But anyway, I feel the the body Christ place the host on my tongue. As my body goes backwards, I'm like, oh, my gosh, what's happening? I felt God's hand behind my back push me forward. And I knew at that moment something had changed. I was both terrified and incredibly engaged in what was happening. You ever had an experience like that? That's a call from God, an invitation to intimacy with him. It should be unsettling and maybe even a little terrifying, frankly. He's God after all. <laughs> you know, here's one. Has God ever called you to something like that? Let me, let me just give you an example because the answer is Yes. In just a few minutes, I'm going to, we're going to come up to the rail, and you're going to be invited to receive the Eucharist, the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Anglicans, of course, believe in something called the real presence, that Christ is somehow, we don't really define it, but is that Christ is present really and truly in the consecrated bread and the consecrated wine. I, or Father Jordan or Father Gritter, will place the bread of the Eucharist on your hand, the body of Christ. And you'll say, amen. I will place that host, that wafer on your hand. When that happens, I want you to stop and think. The creator of the universe, the uncaused cause, is there. And not only that, as you consume the body of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, are you blown away by the fact that his body now nourishes your own body? That bread becomes a part of you. This is how humans are sustained, with bread. And then after that, they'll come by with the chalice, the blood of Christ. You'll consume the blood of Christ. His blood flows through your veins, friends. There is no more intimate invitation, no more intimate relationship than that. And that should change the way you see yourself, the way you see other people, And the way you see God and his invitation to intimacy. Jesus' full self-disclosure of who he is, not just to Peter, James, and John, friends, but to you. And then finally, we see this self-disclosure of Jesus, this overwhelming experience. Peter, James, and John fall on the ground. They're terrified. But it changed those guys forever. It changed them did you notice at the end of the story, they're terrified, and it says that Jesus, everything is, you know, all the light show goes away, and the smoke is cleared, and it says, Jesus reached down. Look at it again. He reaches down, and he touches them, and he says, don't be afraid. It changed those men. How could it not? How could it not change you? Peter, James, and John go forth preaching, teaching, ministering to the sick, casting out Demons they do the very things they could never do before with boldness and confidence and power. Because you know why? They were themselves transfigured too. You know, there are few things more empowering for the human soul than to know that God calls you. And I don't mean you second person plural. I mean you individually. There is nothing more empowering for the human soul than that God calls you to an intimate relationship with him. And there are few things that will crush a human being quicker than to believe that they are nothing more than a great big cosmic accident, which is increasingly why I think our culture is going faster and faster down the rabbit hole. Because quite frankly, if there's no God, then you don't matter. And quite frankly, neither do I. (laughs) But brothers and sisters, the Bible is real and it's true. You are no accident. You know that so do I. Everybody knows that. And God calls you to know him intimately, just as he already knows you. To live as people created in his image, for whom his son Jesus died on the cross to save. Follow me, Jesus says, and I will change you. Follow me, and I will show you your call. Follow me, and I will give your life purpose and meaning and hope. Follow me and I will give you an unshakable confidence and boldness and fearlessness that God loves you no matter what. And I don't mean in some silly hallmark way. I mean that you matter to God. The creator of the universe, the uncaused cause cares about you and draws you and I into an intimate relationship with him that God calls you his friend. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your call on us. Draw us closer to you, Lord, as we head into Lent. Make us aware of our own shortcomings, our own, our own need for you. Help us, Lord, to reach you in an intimate manner to have a closeness with you, which all human hearts desire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.